Welcome again. We're glad to be with you this morning. When I was in high school, I was uh, I, I scared myself half to death reading a couple of novels. Some of you may know about Frank Peretti's novels, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. You may have read them yourselves or at least know about them. And what they are, basically fictional characters that are living their life and, and, and going through, you know, engaging story. But yet, what Peretti does within the context of these novels is he includes speculation about angels and what their involvement may be in our everyday lives and in how they are running interference for us. They may be protecting us. They may even be directing our steps in various ways. And of course, it's speculation, but it's fascinating and it's terrifying at the same time. As I was reading these in high school, I would read them way late into the night, way later than my parents probably would have appreciated me staying up. And, uh, and yet, at the same time, I couldn't put them down because they're just so gripping. And then, once I did finally decide, oh my goodness, I've got to go to sleep, uh, I was terrified to go to sleep because I, my, my imagination was just going wild with the idea of what may be going on, even in this bedroom, beyond my vision, beyond what I can see in the physical world and into the spiritual world, the angelic realm. The reality is, is that the Lord tells us about his angels, about their involvement in our lives, their involvement in history. And I believe that the Lord uses them. Obviously, he uses them in various ways, but he uses them in powerful ways to communicate to us important things, important messages, especially especially as it relates to Christ and his birth. So as we look at and talk about angels this morning, one of the first things that I want us to to consider is that the angels, even in all of their glory, point us to the one who is greater, the one we are to worship. And I believe that especially around the, the narrative of the advent, around the birth of Christ, angels indicate the significance of Christ's coming. And I want to look at that in five different ways, five different ways that angels really point us to and help us to see how incredibly significant this moment in history was, Christ's coming. Now, I want to make clear that angels don't give significance to that reality. You see, Christ's coming was significant regardless of how God wanted to do that. It was incredibly, incredibly momentous point in history that God would enter the world, God among us. But angels are used and they do help us to see what God may have been doing and how he wanted to continue to point significance towards Christ's coming. So the first one I want to say is just... The very nature of their being. We talked about with the children just a second ago how they're fascinating creatures. They're glorious creatures. And when people see them, they fall down in fear and dread and in, in terror. They're, they're massive beings. The Bible also talks about them as warriors. Their description is sometimes mysterious, yet the, the few descriptions that we do have of angels is, is really majestic. Marvelous. Their glory of the Lord is shining, radiating off of them. I believe probably because they just came right from the presence of God and God's glory had just irradiated them. And then they, they pierce through the night. They, they break into our realm 
with this, this majesty, this glorious presence. Now, I want to illustrate this in, in, a, in a peculiar way. Gender reveal parties have become all the rage in the last few years, have they not? Have you guys seen some really fascinating and really creative ways that people have uh, been able to announce the birth of their child or even reveal the gender of their baby that is yet to be due? Um, I think about the creative things that I've seen online in various ways. The, the balloons, uh, have you seen the, where the, the couple opens the box of balloons and the, the balloons come out and it's either blue or pink to, to signify what the baby is going to be? And I was online this week and, and this poor unfortunate couple who they, uh, they received their box and of course both of them are in suspense because they had, it, had the uh, gender secretly given to the balloon store so that they could both be in surprise and in shock. And when they opened the balloon box, out came a rainbow of colors, purple and green and red and all these others. And of course, I see on this blog post the, the wife's expressions going from confusion to disappointment to absolute anger. Like, what is going on here? But uh, fortunately, they were able to remedy it. They, one of the friends found the, the gender at the bottom of the box as a boy. But uh, anyways, all of these creative things, people will cut into the cake and the, the color of the, uh, the cake will be a blue or a pink. And, and then, of course, you know, we've got, you know, it's just, it, people have gotten more elaborate, more creative. In fact, you can now buy fireworks. Heidi, did you know that? You can buy fireworks and launch them, and the color that they explode into reveals the gender of your baby. So that's pretty fat, fantastic. And, and I've even seen TV shows where they hired skywriters to write in the clouds the gender symbol of the baby that's yet to be due. I mean, it gets pretty creative. But I don't care if you're Bill Gates and you wanted to spend a billion dollars on your gender reveal party. You could not spend enough money to top an angel from God coming to announce your baby. You're going to have a boy, and his name is going to be Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. I, I don't care how much money you spend. There is nothing that's going to top an angel from God. The very nature of their being indicates incredible significance to the fact that God is coming to be among us. Now, another thing, another aspect is the number of visits. If you do a study of Scripture, you'll see that angels are active all throughout God's Word. God uses angels in various ways to do many different functions for the Lord. He uses them to guard the cherub. Remember the, the, the guardian cherub at the Garden of Eden standing there with the flaming sword? Of course, we know of other cherubs that are utilized throughout the Scripture. We know of the, the fact that angels are used to deliver messages, and we see that throughout God's Word. But we also know that whenever an angel comes, we might read about another angel just a few chapters away, but that, those few chapters may be years, decades, even centuries before the next angelic visit. But if you look at the time frame in which we have, right at around Christ's birth, we have four different angelic visits proclaiming things about Christ's birth. 
And that, in a concentrated period of time of 15 months, starting with Zechariah and the angel that comes to visit him to tell him about his son, who we now know as John the Baptist, the angel tells Zechariah that your son John will be a forerunner to the Messiah. He is going to prepare the people for the Christ's coming. And then we have the angel that comes to Mary to declare that you are going to have a son. And then the, the angel that came to Joseph to say that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that his, her son is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the one that saved his people from their sins. And then we know the fourth visit in this 15-month period of time came right at Christ's birth to the, the angels, to the shepherds in the field. And so... <clears throat> If you look at Scripture, you know that this concentrated period of time, four different angelic visits, indicates that something big is going on. Never in Scripture do we see so much angelic activity. There's all this chatter, all this buzz coming from heaven, indicating something absolutely wonderful and absolutely significant is about to happen. Now the next thing is the multitude of the heavenly hosts. You may remember and recall the, the passage in Luke 2 of the shepherds sitting out in the field by night. And then suddenly there was an angel, one angel, that stood before them and declared that Christ, these good, good news, glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people, and goes on to describe how Jesus was born and even gives a description of where you could find him how he was wrapped, and then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Now I want to capitalize on something here. Anytime you see in anywhere in Scripture the heavenly host, meaning that multitude of warriors praising God, you see it in God's presence. Job chapter 38, talking about the creation and how the host of heaven are praising God, marveling at his creative work. You see it in the Psalms. You see it in Revelation. You see the living creatures and all those surrounding the throne room of God, and they are praising God in mass in the multitude of the heavenly host. Now, every single time throughout Scripture that you see the angels in great quantity praising God, it's always in God's presence. But yet here, there's something different about this moment. You see the multitude of the heavenly hosts are praising God, yet they're on earth. Why is that significant? Because Emmanuel, God with us. God was now on earth, and the angels were singing his praise at what God was doing and how he was here with us, among us, on earth. What's more is that the message they proclaimed, the message that the angels announced to the shepherds. Look at this again with me. They say to, to, the, uh, to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This announcement that Christ had come and specifically, that word peace was incredibly poignant for the shepherds living in this time at that, in that era of human history. Because peace was something that everyone wanted, yet seemed so elusive. 
especially during this Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was the guy in charge of the Roman Empire at this time. And in a, somewhere around 27 BC, Caesar established what we now know as the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana was the peace of Rome. And as such, what it was was about a 200-year period of relative peace. The, uh, the Roman Empire reduced or maybe even just kind of stopped their buildup of armies. They, uh, again, reduced or stopped hostilities with surrounding nations or surrounding tribes or peoples. And even in the empire, there seemed to be this relative peace internally. But if you were a person living in the Roman Empire at that time, you were oppressed. You knew that it was nothing truly peaceful about it. It was the peace that was established was really simply in this imperial peace brought about by the iron fist of Roman rule, their absolute control over the people. It was not a true peace. And so what the angels are proclaiming is a peace that goes beyond any kind of geopolitical peace that might, be tried, might try to be maneuvered or brought about. It, it truly, it goes beyond any kind of peace that we could have, as Trey mentioned, financially, relationally, or otherwise in our lives within, uh, with, with each other. The peace that God gives is a peace that is beyond understanding. It's beyond comprehension because what it is is it's a peace from God to man. It's a peace that he brings about because he is reconciling us to himself. He is establishing with us a relationship, a restored relationship because of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to have true peace by what God is accomplishing, by what God is establishing because of Jesus Christ, his son. He is bringing about peace in our hearts that's true, that's everlasting, that's real, and it's eternal because of the Prince of Peace who has come. And lastly, the message they proclaimed and then the purpose they serve. You see, the author of Hebrews talks about the distinction between Christ and the angels. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 1, he says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Goes on to say this, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The whole first chapter of Hebrews is dedicated to talking about the superiority of Christ over the angels. Truly, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. You think about, let's, let's put it in these terms. Uh, in 1998, Garth Brooks came to town. Any of you guys go to the concert, one of the concerts that he was at in Reed Arena? A few of you guys, I see you. Um, well, my wife and I, Erica, uh, we got tickets to go see Garth at Reed Arena back in 98. And we got to go to one of those shows. And let me tell you, the guy is an entertainer. He and quite aerobic, I might add. I mean, the guy is all over the stage and just running around. He's got to be in crazy good shape in order to do that every night, every weekend. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. 
Well, a little bit about Garth Brooks. He's had a really successful run at it. He started in 1985, and he's still kicking. He's still going. He had a little kind of a semi-retirement in there in the, the late last decade. But he's going again, and he's packing out concerts. And I think he had uh, several concerts in Houston I heard some people going to. But again, he's just entertaining. He's fantastic. He's, he's, um, he's, he's also, if you, I don't know if you know this about him, but you look it up on Wikipedia to find a few little facts about his career. He has only been outsold in albums by the Beatles. He's had seven albums go, not platinum, not multi-platinum, but diamond level, more than any other artist in history. He's, um, he's been doing this thing for 30 years, and he is still going strong. In fact, just this year, you may have been watching the Cubs while this happened, while they were running the, winning the World Series, Garth Brooks was winning CMA Entertainer of the Year, and he's still on top of the game. Something profound about Garth Brooks, he's, uh, he's that good, and even today, if you were to say, just imagine this, let's go to a concert where Garth Brooks, in today's terms, not 20 or 30 years from now, but today, if you went to a concert where Garth Brooks was the opening act, how good a band, how good of an artist do you have to be for Garth Brooks to be your opener? That's the argument I'm talking about here. The angels are powerful, they're amazing, they're marvelous creatures. But in the end, they're simply pointing us to one who is greater, the very author and creator of those very beings. God himself, Christ himself, is much superior to even the angels. And so as such, I I want us to recognize that Even these most magnificent of beings should simply point us to Christ, point us to worship him. And so in this Christmas season, I know that it's probably not something that that you've got on your checklist to to worship angels. And I I know that's where you're at. But but the reality is, is there are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of things that we create that do take away angels from the worship of Christ. There are a lot of things that steal our focus away from him, especially in this season that is all about him. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage your hearts that even in the busyness, even in all of the festivities, all of these things that are going on around us, that we might draw ourselves to worship Christ, that we might focus our attention on the one who is worthy to be praised, the one only one who is worthy to be worshipped. And so in, even in our traditions, the gifts, the tree, the lights, even in the parties and the relationships that we can enjoy, the family and the friends that we gather around with, let all of these things that are around us and that we enjoy and that we celebrate, let those things point us to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your angels, because what they do for us is they simply point us to you who is greater. And when we think about the glory that radiates off of them and the magnificence of their being, we remember that it's you that created them. It's you that is worthy to be worshipped because you have such creativity, 
You have such power that you yourself are the author of these incredible beings. So I pray, Lord, that in this Christmas season, that during this time when we talk about these angels, when we talk about the birth of Christ, when we talk about the nativity and all those characters and, and, and aspects surrounding this beautiful moment in history, we pray, Lord, that we would give you all praise, all glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.